without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. Are you ready? Are you ready if today would be the day that God would rapture his church? Did you wake up this morning thinking about that? Or did you just go about your business, running from point A to point B? I need to put these shoes on. I need to put this outfit on. I need to get seven cups of coffee before I get gone. What was it that filled your mind? Did the thought ever occur to you one time today, just, just one time before you came into the service, just one time when you're on the road in your vehicle, did the thought ever occur to you once you put your feet on the floor in your home today, that today could be the day that Jesus comes and raptures his church? Do you realize this could be the day? That this very day could be the day before this service is over. It could happen before tonight's graduation. It could happen before you make the call to your mother this afternoon. Do you realize that this thing called the rapture on the the timeline of future things could take place right now in the twinkling of eye, the voice of, of, of an archangel and the trumpet sound of God, Jesus could come and rapture his church. I believe he could come back today. And I know that many of you believe that also. And we've been on this journey over the last four weeks and we'll continue this journey preparing ourselves. But why is that important to us? Why is it important for us to be ready? Why is it important for us to be aware of what's taking place? It's because there are people who need Jesus Christ. There are people who need to hear the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people in our world who are messed up, as we understand, far away from God, who need to be fixed. And the only way they can be fixed is by a perfect redeemer called Jesus Christ who went to the cross for us. And you are the messenger. How will they know unless you and I tell them? So today, throughout this message, my hope and my prayer has been all week long that God would create a sense of urgency in us, a sense of urgency to get ready for his coming and to be on mission to snatch people out from the fire, like Jude says. My hope is this, that you and I will live like I did in a moment this week in my office after studying this. I sat there like this, like, Lord Jesus, you could come right now. And it calls me to get on my knees and pray for people who don't know Christ. Today, as I continue this series and as we plow through these future events, that God took time to put in his Bible so they should be important to us. And we're, we're looking at those. I'll answer some more questions. Why I believe and why I believe scripture says that the rapture will occur before the seven years of tribulation. And you've heard me say this. I, I will share with you why I believe in a pre-tribulational view of the church of Jesus Christ. 
I'll answer other signs. Could Jesus come today? And what are the signs that show us he could come at any moment? And I'll show you, and I've said it before, but no, there aren't signs for the rapture. As we look in the New Testament throughout the Bible, there's signs for the second coming of Christ, and that's seven years after the rapture. So if there are signs for that, just, just back it up and say, he could come at any time if there's already signs for this event to take place. Another question I'll I'll answer or try to answer, and we can walk away and say, maybe there is. Is the Antichrist on earth right now? Is he he amidst among us? Is he in our world? Is the beast as we understand in scripture, is he alive and well? Is he functioning? Is Is he conniving? Is he working his way into this power position? Is he already in a powerful position? Or does he inconspicuously rise to the top out of nowhere and become a leader? What happens on earth when the rapture occurs? We see that it's going to happen. What, what, what does it look like? What does the Bible say? What will happen to us? And what about this terminology of those left behind? So today we'll go on a journey. And I really encourage you once again, listen, use your Bible. Pull out your mobile device, highlight passages so that when you go there again, you can find it. If you don't have a Bible, hold your hand up right now. Our ushers will put one in your hand. If you don't own a Bible, take this Bible home. It's a gift from Grace Community Church. Husbands, have your own Bible. Wives, have your own Bible. Don't share. Make it your own so you can have your own personal study and highlight. And turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to look at this account that Jesus spoke referring to the end times. Matthew 24, and we're going to read verses 36 to 44. So turn to Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to read verses 36 to 44. And when you find that, stand with me as we read God's word out loud together. Matthew 24, verses 36 to 44. Please read along with me in your mobile device or in your, your, your hard copy Bible. And let's just see what Jesus says regarding the next thing on this timeline. Read with me out loud, verse, beginning at verse 36. Ready? Read. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left behind. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the son of man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. You may have a seat. The rapture is on the horizon. Jesus gives us this beautiful picture. He's trying to create the scene as we understand the coming of of Christ as a thief in the night that comes. He gives us this other picture we understand from Genesis when Noah was building this ark for a hundred years and every day he would go out there and build and people would see this gigantic ark that's being built. They paid no attention to it. In fact, they thought he was probably a crazy man with some crazy sons that was building a crazy boat. And so they, they, they didn't pause and think, you know what, there must be a reason for this boat. And it says that even up to the time that the flood occurred, they were going about their way. They were eating, they were drinking, they were punching in on the, on the, at work and they were building and welding and they were, they were going to their, their businesses and, and they were watching over their employees and, and they were taking everything in except this moment, this flood. And he says, it'll be like that. All of a sudden it'll come. And if you understand from that passage we've looked at many times before, we know that the floods came and flooded the earth. And Jesus says, it'll be just like that. People will say, what's going on? That surprised me. Why? Because they weren't ready. Because they didn't trust in Jesus Christ. And so he says, it'll be like a thief in the night. Your house will be broken into. Then he says, it'll be like two women in a field working. They're working hard. And all of a sudden, one keeps working, looks to her left, She's gone. Looks to her right, another one gone. One will be taken, one will be left behind. Jesus comes, he raptures his church, and those that don't know Christ as their personal savior are left behind. 
The Bible shows us many times reference to this event. Quickly, let's just look at three accounts. It's important to set these up. Underline these in your Bible. Write down these notes. Highlight them in your mobile devices. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul gives reference to this next thing on the timeline. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 51 and 52. He gives reference to what we understand as the rapture. He says this to the church of Corinth. Chapter 15, verse 51 and 52. He says, listen. I tell you a what? What's the word? Mystery. We will not all sleep, but we all will be what? What's the word? Change. And then he says this. Come on, follow along with me. Verse 52. In a what? What's the word? Flash. In the what of an eye? At the what? Trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and who will be raised? What's it say? The dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. What do you get from that picture? It's going to be quickly. It's going to be unexpected. But you can, by the time you, 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 you blink your eye, Christ will have rapture the church. You can blink your eye. Just blink. He could be here. He could be here. He could be here. Are you ready? Look at the next passage that gives reference. John chapter 14. Great passage to give you hope and promise of what's to come. Jesus was looking at his disciples. He was trying to comfort them because they, they, they were wondering where, where he's going and how he'll get there. And, 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 and some are betraying him. And so Simon Peter asked him, where are you going, Jesus? What do you mean you're leaving us? Then Jesus says this, to comfort their hearts. John 14, he says, verse 1, do not let your hearts be what? I say the same to Grace Community today. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Grace Community. Why? Why shouldn't we let our hearts be troubled? Look what he says. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My father's house has many what? Some translations have mansions. If that were not so, would I have told you that? I am going there to prepare a place for who? Now, who's the you? That's you and I who know Jesus Christ. And he's preparing that place for us. Then he said this, trying to comfort these disciples. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? What's the next two words? Come back. And do what with you? Take you to be with who? With me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Jesus gives comfort. He says, hey, 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 uh, there's coming a day. I want you to know I'm going to leave and I'm going to go prepare this room in heaven for you. And we talked about the intermediate heaven two weeks ago. That's where people are right now. We talked about the eternal state last week. He says, I'm preparing a place for you. I want to let you know I'm coming back to get you. So they're like, whoa, Peter said, that answers my question. But Thomas, if you look at that passage, he said, Lord, I, I don't understand. Can you explain that to me? And he went on to explain. Then Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians. Look at chapter 4 and verse 16. You probably already have this highlighted because we looked at it, but it's one that you'll want to go back to when people ask you, what's this rapture thing? Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 18. Paul says this, for the Lord himself will come down from where? With a loud what? We're seeing it again. There it is, some loud command. With the voice of a what? Archangel. And with the what call of God? And the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who are already passed on. And we talked about their souls and some bodily forms already in the intermediate heaven. But now those who have been cremated, those who have died and, and of horrible lives that know Christ and the bodies in the graves will come out. And then it says, after that, you and I who are still alive, and our left will be called up together with them in the what? To meet who? The Lord in the air. I love what Paul says. And so we will be with the Lord. How long? Forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. I'm going to come to this timeline that we've been referring to. And you can look up at the big screens. And, and so we've been looking at this timeline, this what we would call eschatology, which means just study of future things. Right now, we're in this dispensation. We're, this is the church age, the grace age. This is where we're at. And the next thing on the timeline, as we understand, as I would believe, is the rapture. 
after that is the seven years of tribulation. At the end of the seven years of tribulation, Revelation 19, we looked at a few weeks ago, is the second coming of Christ. Today, we're going to be talking about the rapture, and we're going to talk about the second coming of Christ. After that is the millennial kingdom, a thousand years. And we saw the great white throne judgment. Next couple of weeks, we're going to look at hell and Hades and Sheol and understanding the great white throne judgment. And the eternal state last week we looked at is, is where the new heaven comes down to the new earth and they, 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 the body of Christ is with him forever. But right now we're talking about the rapture. How do we know that the church is raptured? Why do we believe and why do I believe and many of us believe that the church is raptured before the seven years of tribulation? I'm going to walk through and from what I understand scripture to say, I understand that some would differ from me and I'm not here to argue that. I'm just going to say, this is what I believe to be true from scripture. The first reason I believe the church will be called out, the church will be raptured out is this. In each case, the church is taken to heaven and out of this world. In each case that we looked at already, some believe in our world today, they call them post-tribulationists. Here's what it means. They believe that you and I, who are Christ followers, go through the whole tribulation. And there isn't any understanding of rapture as we understand that the church, the second coming, every then and only then will the church be taken out. And so if you believe that view, the reason I don't believe that view is this, is that if we're called up to meet our bridegroom, if the rapture is God grabbing us to meet him in the air, it has called us out to go see this mansion. For me to, to think through that I'm called out, take a look at my, my dwelling place, this room that he's made us, and then being snatched up there, taking a quick look and coming right back. It doesn't connote logic to me. And so logically, it appears for me that we're called out, we're spent with him, and then there's this set, spend time with him, there's a seven years, and at the end of that seven years, we come back with him. And we come down and we're riding on horses with all the forces of heaven, the angelic realm with him. Another reason I believe the church is raptured before the seven years of tribulation. There's no mention of the church after Revelation 5. And after, up to Revelation 5, Revelation 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, 19 times, if you go and look, the church is referred to. And after that, there's not a mention of them being on earth one can conclude that the church is gone and raptured. Chapters four and five talk about the church in heaven. And they talk about these 24 elders that I believe are are men, a reference to glorified church. And then in Revelation chapter six and verse 18, there's this description of bow judgments. There's this description of of, uh, these atrocities happening on earth. There's this unbelievable view that John had on the aisle on the Patmos. He was trying to describe it from Revelation six to 18. And there's no mention of the church as we understand it. It's this total destruction on earth. But then in Revelation 19, there's this picture of Jesus coming back. And there's this group of people following behind him called the body of Christ, the second coming of Christ. It's not until then that we're talked about in Revelation. So there's this picture. Just take it out. Revelation 1 to 5, we're here. Revelation 6 to 18, we're not here. Revelation 19, we're coming back. That's the picture that's there in Revelation. Another reason why I believe that we'll be, we'll be called out or pulled out. Look at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. Part of John's vision that he was having, trying to describe this. Revelation chapter 3. Another reason I believe the church will be raptured out. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. John says this. He says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also Keep you from the hour of what? That is going to come on the whole what? To test the inhabitants of the earth. The word is pretty simple to define if you ask me. To keep from literally means to take you out. Some translations have take you out to keep you from the coming judgment. Rescue us from the coming wrath. The contest of this chapter is the rapture, not the second coming, which is later and at the end of the tribulation. 
Another reason I believe that the rapture will occur before tribulation period. This view shows an imminent return of Christ. The word connotes surprise, or at any time, or at any moment. It's, in other words, it's the trumpet sound of Christ. It's, it's the voice of an archangel. It's, it's bam, it happens, and it twinkling in the eyes. Like, one day, they're out working in a field, boom, they're gone. It's just, it's just this imminent view, like surprise element that takes place. It creates a sense of unknown, but could happen today. It's like Christ could come back right now. He could happen any moment. You see, other views take away that imminent view in my mind. Because if the Antichrist signs a peace treaty at the beginning of the tribulation, and you know, there's two sections. There's the first half, three and a half years, and there's the great tribulation, the second half. So if we see this leader rise up, and he signs this document that makes a one-world government and brings peace, if we're able to witness that, then we know from the word of God that the Antichrist is on earth. And if we know that happened, then all we have to say, 42 months from now, the rapture will occur. That's not a surprise to me. Any mathematician says 42 months is three and a half years. So in my mind, I believe it must be an eminent view. Surprise. You're laying in bed. You wake up. Boom. Christ raptures the church. But here's the problem, though. If that is the case, if it is true from Scripture that we're raptured out, do we really live like Jesus is coming back? Do you really live that way? Do you live with that sense of urgency? Do I? Let's be honest. There are days I don't. There are days the thought of the second coming of Christ doesn't even get on my radar screen. Why? Because I got to get this done and I got to get that done and I got to get home and do that and I got I to care for this and I got this meeting, that meeting. And so I've been praying, Lord, give me an urgency so that I can tell others about Jesus Christ. You see, here's the problem. We live like Jesus died. We, we, we ought to live like Jesus died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming back this afternoon. That's how we should live. But do we? My hope today is this, and my prayer then began with me in my office this week. I tell you, I, I'm serious. I was sitting in my office this week, and I was looking at the signs of the, of, of the second coming of Christ, and there was a point that, that the Lord just convicted me, and I sat in my chair like this. He could come back. Come, Lord Jesus. But I just didn't sit there, and then I began thinking about people who don't know Christ, some relatives and friends that I've been praying for a long time, and I said, oh, Jesus, please save their souls. So there's a sense of, there's an eminent view. I also believe this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Here's another reason I believe the church is raptured out. I believe we are not appointed to suffer or to wrath. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul says this regarding this coming thing that's taking place, the day of the Lord. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer what? What's the word? Wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look again, for those of you just getting there, it takes a little bit for the mobile device. Look at verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer what? Wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that passage follow? What's chapter 5 follow? Chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 16 to 18. What, what's it say? The dead in Christ will rise first. And those that are still alive will be called up with him to meet him in the air. It follows the rapture. And then he says, I'm going to keep you from that. I cannot refer to believers being delivered during the time of the wrath. The saints who live during the tribulation will most likely be martyred. And you don't deliver a dead person. Another reason I believe that the rapture occurs before the tribulation period. The Antichrist cannot be revealed until the restrainer is removed. Turn to 2 Thessalonians, one more book over. 2 Thessalonians, this passage, if I had time today, it talks about the rapture. It talks about the second coming. In verse, go down to verse 7 and 8 and 9 and 10. It opens with the rapture, I believe. But then it says this in 2 Thessalonians, verses, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Look what it says. Paul said, inspired by the Holy Spirit, carried along by the Holy Spirit, Peter tells us, for the secret power of what is already at work. Lawlessness. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do it till he is taken what? What's it say? Out of the way. 
And then the lawless one, Satan and his cohorts, the evil trinity, the beast, the antichrist, the false prophet will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The tribulation cannot occur until the restrainer is removed. And the Antichrist will not be... What's the restrainer? Here's the restrainer. What Restrain means what? It means to keep back or means to keep from happening. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm holding back. I'm, I'm pushing back. Like, you step in the way and say, nope, you're not getting any further. You're restraining them from going any farther. Who is that? The restrainer is the church of Jesus Christ. Filled with the Holy Spirit saying, listen, this might be happening in our world right now, but listen, I'm standing up for what Jesus would want me to stand up. And you're not doing that to my daughter. You're not doing that in the workplace. I'm going to tell the world about Jesus. It's the church is holding back the lawless one. But then when that is removed, the church is removed before the lawless one is revealed. What, other, what else do we have in Scripture? There's plenty of them. Here's one other one. There are no warnings of any kind, nor are there any instructions given to the church on how to endure the tribulation. What the church is told is strong in warning, not strong in warning, but strong in hope. There, aren't, there isn't any implicit instructions like when the tribulation occurs, do this, do that, do that. The Bible is, has all kinds of things telling us how. Just read the book of James. This is how you do it. Be not just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word, King James says. Memorize it that way. Just, just do it. You would think that God would say, here's your instruction manual. When the tribulation comes, do this. But there's no instruction given. But it's the church, literally, what is told to the church is not strong in warning, but strong in hope. Look at Titus chapter 2. Just keep going right in your Bible or right in your mobile device. Titus chapter 2. Look at verse 13. Look what it says here. Paul once again says this. He says, while we wait for the blessed what? Hope. The appearing of the glory of our great what? And what? Who is the Savior? Jesus Christ. It's the picture. It's the picture of this. It says, he's not warning. He says, listen, there's hope on the way. And the hope is coming through Jesus Christ. And he's coming to get his church. And we are his church. And we're out of here. Can I have one amen? amen? That's the picture. That's why I believe in the pre-tribulational view. Just pull away, imagine the scene. It's impossible for us because we don't really get a description of the rapture other than this lady's working in the field and she's gone and this other person's working and people are eating and drinking and just like time in Noah and it's like they're gone. People are left behind. And, but what is it going to look like? That opening video tried to display it. Imagine missing people, husbands without wives and neighbors without neighbors and workers without bosses and coaches without players. And some have asked me even this question as we look at future times, if America is so blessed and why aren't they mentioned in end time prophecies? Like I see Russia and I see all these other great nations spoken for in metaphors. Why isn't... Okay, if, if America's so powerful, we're so powerful, Jesus couldn't come back now because we're so powerful. Like, we must be mentioned somehow. If the rapture's going to occur, then we got to diminish our power before Jesus comes back because we're the superpower. Then there has to come a point when we're, we're, where we don't know anything about the USA. So he can't come back. Well, let me just think about that with you a second. If 25 to 30% of the USA who claim to be committed, born again, spirit-filled believers, 25 to 30% are raptured, then the presence of spirit-filled believers, the superpower of America will be gone. 70, 80 million people, gone. Imagine the chaos and the need for a leader who has the answers to all America's problems the world needs to be taken care of. Imagine why isn't it mentioned? Because we're gone. We won't be there because we know Jesus Christ. That sets up the stage for someone to rule the world because there'll be chaos. 
fires and planes crashing and trains crashing and cars crashing. How will the world be able to describe? How will Satan and his cohorts and, and the Antichrist, how will, they dis, how will they explain all these missing people? <laughs> it won't take much, but they will take this charismatic leader who's empowered by the evil one, Satan, walking on the scene and saying, hey, here's what took place. So what are those signs? What are the signs of the second coming? Let me go back to this timeline. Now, now I believe we're going to be raptured out. The Bible doesn't give any signs for the rapture. Let's go back to this timeline. So the seven years of tribulation are taking place. At the end of this tribulation, the second coming. The Bible says there are signs that will take place. And if these signs have appeared on earth, if, they, if you're seeing them, then guess what? The second coming of Christ is about to take place. Well, if that's taking place, then this has to take place before that. Get the picture? Church, hear me out a second. This isn't something that great men of God and great women of God that aren't saying today, that haven't said 20 or 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 100 years ago. There are signs that are being unpacked in Scripture right now as we sit here today that we must say, Lord, come quickly because I just don't see what else has to happen. Other than the Lord is patient and slow to anger, not wanting anyone to perish. And he's waiting for that, that one person, part of the elect, the predestined, the adopted, to, to trust in him and acknowledge the decision from the foundation of the world. So what are the signs of his coming? We'll look at Ma- Matthew chapter 24. Let's just look. What do we need to see, Pastor Jim? What do we need to see? What is it out there that has to happen before the second coming of Christ? And that's before, that's before the rapture. What has to happen? Well, let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Let's just see what it says. Verses 1 to 8. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him and called his attention to its buildings. Jesus said this in Matthew 24 too. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Privately. Jesus, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the what? What's the word? Of your what? At the end of the what? Can you picture? Like, they heard him talking, and they got in the private room. They said, Jesus. Okay, Jesus. We heard you talk. Like, Jesus, what are the signs? Because we want to be ready. Jesus, can you like give us something that lets us know that the second coming is occurring and that the end of the age is close? Because Jesus, we want to be ready for this. We want to be ready at a moment's notice. So, so can you imagine the disciples and Jesus says, come here, come here, come here, come here. Here they are. In this private discussion that now has become public information through, 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 through the author of Matthew and the Holy Spirit, that this, this beautiful picture of the Bible being brought together, as we understand, it's inerrant, infallible. This process of the Spirit carried them along, and we get a copy of it today of a conversation that Jesus had in private with his disciples' church. That is good stuff right there. Here it is. And here's the picture. Look what he says then. He says this in verse four, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. They're in this room having this private conversation. For many will come in my name claiming I am the what? And will deceive how many? Many. You will hear of what? What's the word? Wars and rumors of what? But see to it that you are not what? Such things, what's he say? Must what? But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be what? What's the word? In what? In various places. I love one translation. It has diverse places. All these are the beginning of what pains? Okay, moms that have had children. And husbands who have been with their wives when they've been pregnant. And then you have these things called what? Contractions. And then hormones kick in. And you're like, it's getting close because the contractions, you're counting the, the time between them. And you get words like, hey, centimeters, it's getting bigger, it's getting bigger. And the picture is this, that, that these birth pains are taking place. Like a mom gives birth to a child, like, she's ready. 
Get the doctor. We might have to have it in the car. There's this picture. He says, the birth pains are coming. Okay, what are the signs? Let me know about the contractions. What are the contractions on on the horizon? Here they are. Wars and rumors of wars. Come on, church. Do we need any more? Do we live in a world where there's wars everywhere? Gaza, Africa, Iraq, Syria. There are birth pains everywhere. There are contractions everywhere. The baby's coming and it's Jesus Christ. And he's coming to rapture his church because it must happen before the second coming. What's another sign? This afternoon and this week, look at Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. There's a reference to what we would understand as the rise of Russia. She's coming back and she hates Israel and it will be her undoing. Do you realize that right now in Russia, they have the same unemployment rate that the USA has? Do you remember the season in our lifetime where Russia kind of took a plummet? Do you remember even, you think, think about even in our world how the Soviet Union used to rule the Olympics and now, and then there was a period of time. Now, guess what? Russia's on the rise. Russia's on the rise. Do you realize that our president-elect was talking about his relationship with who? With Russia. Do you realize that Russia is rising and it's, it's, it's coming and, and the rise of Russia? It's here, church. It's here. Another reference to the sign of the second coming is capital and labor conflict. James chapter 5, read it later, verses 1 through 6. Let's just know that rich people will weep and wail because of their misery, because they, they have, we have these idolaters in our world that are more in love with money than they are Jesus. In this picture, that man is chasing the dollar. Man is leaving family and chasing the dollar. He's hungry for more and more and more to build kingdoms and kingdoms on earth instead of kingdoms and treasures in heaven. We are living in that time. Then in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. Turn to Daniel chapter 12, a very important book for future things. Look at Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. Here's another sign of the second coming of Christ. Look at Daniel chapter 12 and verse 4. The end times, a reference to it, but look at Daniel 12 and verse 4. It says, but you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the what? End. Look at verse 4 at the end. Many will go here and where? There. To increase what? Some translations have to and fro to increase. Many. There's this rampant ability for technology to push information out to the masses. Seriously. What do I need to say anymore than grab your thumbs and you can talk around the world? All you have to do is, is play a video and hit send. Social media lets you touch people I have friends in Iraq. I have friends in Cambodia. I have friends in Thailand and China and Vietnam and Syria and Pakistan. I have friends in Cuba. I have friends all over the world. So do you. And you know how I talk to them? I use my thumbs. Knowledge will be able to be translated and, and crossed across the borders to and fro. We live in a world that information can be broadcast immediately. You, you know, in my lifetime, it wasn't always that, that way. And for some of us, we've seen technology advance from black and white TVs, 12 inch. You remember the pliers because the tuner would break on the UHF? Do you remember when you would send your parents outside, your dad outside, and he would scale his way up the antenna and someone would open up the window and you wanted to watch your sports team play and you say, turn a little further, dad. Do you remember that? Like, no, 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 hold it right there, dad. Can you just stay up on top and let us watch the game? Now what do we do? We can get Netflix. We can get computers. We can get Hulu. We can, we, can, we can have cable. We have internet. We have access. We can even watch it while we're driving. Just don't let Tyler Hoosier see you do it. Why is that important? Because information and knowledge can be used to deceive the masses about the rapture. How will that happen? I don't know. I mean, every man has tried to speculate what it is. And only this, only God himself knows what it's going to be like. There'll be a one world government. Look at Revelation chapter 17. What's that mean, Pastor Jim? One world government, Revelation chapter 17. Jude, Revelation. Revelation. 
a one-world government. And if you see a one-world government coming, get ready! Second coming's coming! And if the second coming is coming, then the rapture it happens before that. Revelation 17, look at verses 12 and 14 through 14. It says, the ten horns you saw are ten kings, leaders, political powers, who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as the kings along with who? The what? The Antichrist. There's this one world government aligning itself with the Antichrist. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to who? The beast, the Antichrist. They will wage war against the lamb. That's us. But the lamb, the body of Christ, and Christ will triumph over them because he is the Lord of what? And the king of who? One world government. Just this morning, I pulled an article regarding one world government. Let's give you something technology allowed me to do. Look, look here. This happened on September 25. From September 25 to September 27, the United Nations launched a new universal agenda for humanity. And this author went on to say, these are not my words. They actually come directly out of the core document for this new agenda. The Pope traveled to New York City to give the address that kicked off this conference, thus giving his considerable endorsement to this new plan. And here's the plan. You want to hear about a one world government that you haven't heard about on the news? Virtually every nation on the entire planet willingly signed up for the new 17 goals that are included in this plan. But this stunning turn of events made very few international headlines. Then he goes on to say, the United Nation is promising that if we all work together, that we can turn our planet into some kind of utopia. But the truth is that all of this talk about unity masks a very insidious, insidious agenda. The UN is not asking permission, but issuing a command. Listen, not, not asking, would you do this? Is issuing a command that the entire planet will commit to 17 sustainable development goals and 169 sustainable development targets designed to radically transform our world. This plan promoted by the Pope will advance Agenda 21. Grace community, the body of Christ. One world government is on our doorstep. What else do we need? Second Peter, verses 3, 1 to 12 says, that a sign is there'll be moral breakdown in our world. <laughs> do I need to say anything else? A form of godliness, but not truly on mission for Jesus. Abortion, divorce, sex trade, infidelity, pornography. It is rampant in our world. Second Peter, or Second Timothy 3, Paul says this to Timothy, verses 1 to 5, that watch out, there will be people who call themselves Christ followers, but they're not. They have a form of godliness, but denying its power. Everywhere, listen, everywhere in our world, people say, I'm a follower of Christ. There's many ways to God, isn't there? Like in our community, how often have we heard, listen, you can, you can worship Allah, he'll get you to God. Come on, let's get together. Let's hug. Let's, listen, there's got to be one God. Listen, you might get there a little different than I do, but there's, there's only one God. So you worship God your way. You practice your way. But listen, you skip Jesus. I'll use someone else. There is no, there is no prophet. God but Allah and Muhammad will get me to God. No, he won't. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Amen. That's what the word of God says. Listen, don't be deceived. Listen, those are signs of a time. Second Timothy chapter four, verses one to four. Peter told Timothy there, he says, watch out for apostasy that'll take place. Water down the truth, easy believism, a prosperity gospel, pad the pew preaching or the chairs. Another sign that Jesus referred to, we read in Matthew chapter 24, there would be earthquakes and famine. Do you realize this? I did a little research again this week that there are 1,300 to 2,500 earthquakes a year in our world since 2000 with a Richter scale reading of five. Like, we don't see them all in the news. 1,300 to 2,500 earthquakes. Listen, that's not even counting the ones that were a four, a three, or two, or a one on the Richter scale that are happening in our world every single year since 2000. 
If that isn't earthquakes and diverse in many places, then I don't know what is. Church, get ready. Jesus is coming again. And tell the world about it too. So that sets up the stage for what? For this one man to rule the world. And where is it at? Go back to this timeline quickly here. Let's go back to this timeline. This man called the beast. This man has many names, a lawless one. This man that, that, that appears here. And he, 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 if, if the rapture could occur, I believe that the Antichrist is alive today. And what happens is that once this rapture occurs, this Antichrist comes on the scene as a peacemaker. Even as, like he believes in God and he signs this peace treaty and he rules during this time. But what about this Antichrist? Well, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18 and 22 refers to him. The Antichrist will be Satan's Superman for lack of better terms. Who persecutes and kills the people of God and leads his army into battle at the Battle of Armageddon we talked about a few weeks ago. He will be the most powerful dictator the world has ever seen. Now listen, good news. You and I won't be here. But listen, there will be people who will be left behind. And the Bible says, says this, there will be such a great deception that even the elect, if they were alive, could be deceived. So what's that mean? It'll be very hard for someone to trust in Jesus Christ. So if you're banking on, I'm, listen, I'm going to hold on. I got to see if Jesus is really coming. After he comes, I'm going to trust in him. Listen, the Bible says that even if the elect were alive, they can be deceived. There would be such a great deception about what took place. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 1 refers to him as the beast. He'll be revealed. What are his personality traits? Daniel chapter 7 and verse 7 to 8 says that he will be a charismatic leader. The NIV says he will boastfully set himself up. He will speak great things to, to draw people in. So he has to be imposing. He has to come on the scene because people are looking. They're afraid. It's chaotic on earth. There's destruction and crashes and death and blood and, and bowl judgments and seal judgments. And, and they're like, somebody help us. And this man will connive his way onto the scene. Listen to me. And he'll speak. And people will go, wow. Listen to him speak. Wow. He's got the answers. Let's follow him. The Bible says that he'll also be this imposing person. Daniel 7 and verse 20, attractive and imposing. Not only will he be charismatic, but he'll be good looking. That eliminates you and the most of the rest of us, doesn't it? Me too. He looks good. He's a great communicator. Cater. And together with good looks, imposing looks and cunning and clever leader, he will sneak his plan into place, just like Satan. Isn't that what Satan, the Bible says? That Satan, he, 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 he's a, a lamb, a, 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 comes dressed like a lamb. Oh, gentle, here, let me give you a hug. Then underneath, ah, ah, deceive the masses. The Bible says in Daniel eleven twenty one that he'll be cunning, clever leader. A.W. Pink had a great description of, of the Antichrist. Just listen to this quote. He was trying to describe, how will this guy come on the scene? And, and A.W. Pink says this. He says this. He says, Satan has had full opportunity afforded to him to study fallen human nature. The devil knows full well how to dazzle people by the attraction of power. He knows how to gratify the craving for knowledge. He can delight the ear with music, the eye with entrancing beauty. He knows how to exalt people to dizzying heights of worldly greatness and fame and how to control the greatness so that it may be employed against God and his people. Clever leader. Think about this. Every leader wants to settle the crisis in the Middle East, haven't they? And he'll come on and he signs this peace treaty and the Middle East will come together and people will be like, wow, no one could do that. Not Carter, not Clinton, not Kissinger, not anybody. But the beast will do it. And they'll be like, wow, bow down to you. One world government. And he will lead the masses away from God. The Bible says he'll be a cruel leader, especially the second half of the tribulation. 
Daniel 7, verse 23, he'll be cruel to those that come to Christ during the tribulation. Few will who don't take the mark of the beast. Now hear me out. Don't bank on making it to the tribulation. Trust in Jesus Christ today. The Bible also says this. This intrigues me. Daniel chapter 7. You read Daniel chapter 7 today. This, this intrigues me. Because I'll admit, I'm looking. And I'll admit, and I'll keep it to myself, I have ideas. And I don't know, though. Because I don't know. He will be politically inconspicuous. What does that mean? That's what Daniel 7 says. He will not begin with a lot of fanfare and announce, here I am, Antichrist! <laughs> no, he won't. But he'll squeeze his way in, little by little. In fact, I believe his beginning will be a nobody. He'll have no experience in political power, none whatsoever. And then somehow he'll be put in charge of a great position. And people will say this, how did he get there? He will be politically inconspicuous. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4 says he'll be spiritually blasphemous. He'll start out as a follower of Christianity. Hear me out. He'll start out with a form of godliness. And then you'll find out he wants nothing to do with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yeah, I'm a Christ follower. Revelation chapter 13 reminds us of this, though, and this is the good news. Verses 5 to 7, he will be limited providentially. He will only be able to do as much as God allows him. And God will come back and destroy the earth. So what I say that, listen to me, church, Jesus is coming and he can't be stopped. Jesus is coming and he can't be stopped. Jesus is coming and he can't be stopped. Jesus is coming, and he can't be stopped. Oh, Lord, I pray today that our hearts were ignited. I pray that the fan of evangelism was, is burning hot. I pray for a holy boldness for us who call ourselves Christ followers. I pray where fear has, has paralyzed us from speaking. You tell us, how will they know unless a messenger is sent? And how will they know unless someone speaks? I pray, God, that we would build relationships and, God, we would snatch people from the fire by your grace. Lord, you're coming. The lion and the lamb is coming. I pray, God, that we will be ready. In Jesus' name, amen.